Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. Friends, I'm excited to let you know about Connection Summit Conversations. This is six candid conversations between Marissa Martino, myself, and occasionally a special guest, covering everything from the human half of dealing with dog-directed reactivity to the importance of play. So check out the link in the show notes. We're getting started soon, and you won't want to miss it. Hey, everyone. I'm Sarah Strumming. And I'm Marissa Martino. And this is a special crossover episode of our podcast, mine, Cog Dog Radio. And mine, the Pause and Reward Podcast. Why a fancy crossover thingy? Well, Marissa and I got the opportunity to talk to Emily Nagoski because of our recent project, The Connection Summit. And it was an honor that we had to share with both of our listenerships. Yeah, we wanted to take a moment at the top to introduce you briefly to Emily Nagoski, who together with her twin sister, Amelia Nagoski, authored the book Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, which is the book for people who feel overwhelmed and still certain they are not doing enough. She's a writer, educator, researcher, activist, and when we aren't in a global pandemic, she travels the world to lecture on stress, sex, relationships, communication, and more. Her PhD is in health behavior with a concentration in human sexuality. She also happens to be a total dog nerd, which we found out um, on the call with her, and we're so pleased to know. So why is her work so relevant to ours? Because we as dog trainers often feel overwhelmed and still certain that we're not doing enough. So this book, Burnout, was a game changer for Sarah and I, and we think you'll get it once you dive into the interview. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Emily. Will you get started by saying your first and last name and your pronouns? Uh, I'm Emily Nagoski. I go by she, her pronouns. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for being here. Would you tell us a bit about the dogs you share your life with to begin? <laughs> right now, we have two dogs. We have Thunder, who's an 11-year-old uh, American Pitbull Terrier, purebred, uh, whom we adopted when she was about eight. She was surrendered to the shelter because her family, she grew up with five kids her whole life she spent, um, but her wow. family moved to a place that would not let her, them have the dog. Um, so we adopted her, and she has... She's basically believes she's a human being, has never had a dog friend. Um, so we adopted a puppy about a year and a half ago uh, named Olive, who we had a DNA test, and she's like 12 different breeds. She is not predominantly anything. But Thunder is almost entirely black, and Olive is almost entirely white with a little round brown patch around her eye. She looks like the dog from the Rascals, Little Rascals. Oh, cute. So I'm just going to ask right now, that must have been fun for you to introduce a puppy to a dog. 
<laughs> to an older dog that didn't did that was like no thank you I'm not actually friends I'm not a dog who are you yeah it was it was it was like we had chose her like Amelia my sister and I uh Amelia is the co-author of burnout uh she and I went to the shelter together to look at the dogs and we deliberately chose a dog with a sort of like middle energy to low energy temperament mm. uh who was not the fastest of all the dogs who s- seemed pretty gentle and cooperative and wouldn't mind having a uh, slightly like bullying wants her own way kind of older sister mm-hmm. uh so we chose her on purpose because we thought she'd be a great fit with thunder our older dog uh, and so we adopted her and we brought her home and we walked her to the bike path and we walked Thunder to the bike path and we walked the two of them together about a mile <laughs> and then we let them meet and uh, Thunder got all up under Olive's grill, <laughs> shoved her nose under her belly so much that Olive's tush was in the air <laughs> under Thunder's butt <laughs> yes. and uh, they've been pretty much inseparable sisters ever since. I have to click and treat you for a knowing what type of dog you were looking for to complement your existing dog. So that's number one. And number two, the fact that you met in a neutral space, you did a parallel walk for a little bit. You did an introduction that way, instead of having the puppy just come into the house, um, which most, most people do. And sometimes they get lucky and sometimes they definitely don't. So nice work, you know, cultivating a situation for your dogs to be successful. And even when we got them, we have a fenced backyard. We brought them into the backyard. We didn't just let them go at that point. Mm-hmm. I ran Olive in circles around the fenced yard. Thunder is much slower than Olive is because mm-hmm. there's a 10-year age difference, yeah. basically. Um, and so, like, Olive got to wear herself out, and Thunder got used to the idea that there was this weirdo in her yard. <laughs> and, awesome. it, it, like, there was very little, like, after that first, the first couple hours were a lot. And after that, it was just having a puppy. Yeah. Nice work. Thanks. Yeah. It's great. You know, yeah. you decide you want a career switch. Sounds yeah. like, you know, dogs <laughs> would be fine. No, I'm I'm not fully human if I don't have a dog. We adopted Thunder when we did. It was actually my husband's idea uh to adopt her. I was traveling for work at the time, mm-hmm. but we had put both of our dogs down two or three weeks before that. Gosh. Um and yeah, it's awful, right? Awful. Like to lose both your dogs yeah. on the yes. same day. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, and I always thought we're going to need a morning period, uh, but it was much worse to have no dogs than to like leave breathing space. Like I'm just not a person without dogs. Yeah. It's like, what is life without dogs? It's so, it's so bizarre to me. They are the ultimate grounding connection for me. Like they Mm -hmm. live right now. They have the feelings that they have right now. And if you, the thing is, if you like get frustrated and like slightly lose your temper, they forgive you immediately. (laughs) And when you are like fully supportive and like give them the slightest bit of like, let's play a game. They just are so happy and so responsive and loving. And they like cuddle next to you in the bed. We totally let our dogs sleep in the bed. I could really talk about dogs forever. My main dog story. Here's the dog story for you to know. Uh, I had spent about a year and a half, uh, fostering my mom's dog she was moving from state to state and so I was providing a stable home for this little um Aberdeen Terrier uh and then uh my I 
took Addie back to live with my mom. And for about three weeks, I didn't have a dog. And one day I took a shower, I got dressed, I had my hand on the doorknob to leave for work. And I just burst into tears and like, sat down and cried because I didn't have a dog. And that's when I was well, so so I need to adopt a dog immediately. So I began the search. It took me about three weeks and I found the dog I would name Green Bean. Uh, I went into the shelter. It was in Connecticut. It was a no-kill shelter in Connecticut. Uh, And I was like, here's my living situation. Here's what I'm looking for. And they said, let's introduce you to Dean. Dean was a 70-pound hound lab mix who had been in the shelter for five years. Oh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, he was removed as a young dog from his home because the teenagers in the family were burning him with cigarettes. Wow. And so, like, he had all kinds of things he was afraid of. He barked at anybody who came into the shelter who he was introduced to. He barked at me. He, like, did not want to be my friend because the shelter was his home. Mm -hmm. That was was where he lived with this, like, rotating cast of other dogs in the shelter. Um, He... And I was like, well, clearly this is my dog. He was afraid of men. I was a single woman at the time. And I was like, I guess this is the dog I'm adopting. So oh I got him God. home. <laughs> You're in such good company right now. I'm like, <laughs> he was, well, obviously he was, he's for me. <laughs> clearly this is my dog. Cause yeah. again, like I was a mental health educator. I was like, I can help this dog. Yeah. Like I have a sense of like what this dog's trauma is going to be. He's going to need some help becoming a dog again. Um, So I got him home. I walked him about a mile. It was January in Massachusetts. So there was snow. We walk into the apartment and I start trying to like feed him, teach him his name. I decided because I worked at a college, I had enough deans in my life. I didn't need another dean. So I named him Green Bean, which was the silliest name that rhymed. So I started trying to teach him Green Bean. He did not want hot dogs. He didn't want any kind of treats I had in my house. He didn't want bacon. He didn't want cheese. It wasn't until I boiled some chicken breast. Mm -hmm. that I And it took me days to figure out the chicken breast thing. Um, so the first night was really, cause he didn't know his name. He didn't know any commands. He didn't know anything. He was just freaked the fuck out to be yeah. in this new situation. And I like took a shower and then sat down on the floor by my bed and cried. Like, what did I just do? Yeah. Adopting this dog and green bean came over and he sat right next to me and leaned against me. And he's oh. like, yeah, this is rough. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What are we we going to do? (laughs) He's like, you and me both, man. (laughs) Like, this is like, wow, this is a lot we got going on right here. Boil the chicken. Just for yeah, thing, if you could just figure out the chicken thing, it's going to be okay. So I figured out chicken. Um, and then from then on, like, I, you know, I fed him by hand, rewarding him for mm-hmm. eye contact for a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was, that was my project for months and months. And then uh, he got better and better and we're like walking off leash and he's running behind me on a bicycle. And like, we've got this great relationship and he's coming with me to campus to go to residence halls and I'm teaching dog, teaching them about dogs and like recovery from trauma and about how like my job, when he has a meltdown, which happened periodically on our walks, he would just sort of like have these like, I don't know what's going on kind of meltdown fits. My job is to stay really calm and be like, what's going on right now? What is it that you need most? Would you like to stay here and have a meltdown? Or would you like to go home where we have some snacks? This is exactly is why we have I, you on the show. Marissa, is that not what I just <laughs> talked about last night? Literally. I did, I did a whole Facebook Live last night about when your dog is freaking out, it's really not helpful if you too freak out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. I, I was very much like, my job is to be your therapist. And what my therapist would do right now is sit calmly with me and ask me uh, what direction I want to move in. And because feelings are tunnels, you have to go all the way through them to get to the light yeah. at the end. I knew he couldn't just like turn it off like a switch. He had to move through it. You got to let him go through it. Like if he's scared of something, if he's angry about something, if he's frustrated, you got to let him be there. Yeah. And when he turns and looks at me, like I can help him then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Emily, that's, Thank I mean, you. that's, that's like what we advise. And it's mm -hmm. not what a lot of trainers advise. It's really not easy to do, right? Because yeah. you're very like, oh, I love my dog so much. I just yes. want you to be happy and calm. Right. You want to intervene because you don't want to see them like that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's actually so, so powerfully intuitive of you to take mm -hmm. your your knowledge and your skill set and apply it to a dog. Because I can tell you, I've had a lot of therapists as clients who didn't do that. <laughs> right? yeah. And you know that they would do it with their clients, right? You know, yes, like, you know, the client is having set. a meltdown. You know, exactly. that they're not going to be like, oh my God, are you okay? Do right. you want to treat? <laughs> no, yeah. they're going to sit back and be like, okay, we're in our feelings right now. Yeah. Right. Or tell like, me what take that's a breath. like for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it's because human beings are used to relating human beings as human beings and they yeah. don't recognize that we're actually relating to another mammal when we relate mm -hmm. to human beings. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just it's the same thing going on. Like the biology is so similar. The emotional stuff is so similar to a dog. Dogs are almost as hypersocial as humans are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's a perfect segue to this entire episode because <laughs> yes. Um, we, and Sarah and I did not know your story about green bean. But I'm like such a dog person. Yeah. No, yeah. Green bean and that is, changed my life, saved my life. Green bean is the reason I married my husband. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, and so we didn't even know about that story. So that's really beautiful for us to hear that right now. And it's perfect for this episode. Um, and I want to say that I have worked in many shelters and have been part of naming, dogs i have never met a green bean really so i've met like thousands of dogs and i've never had that name that name is really clever i like it so nice work um so like sarah mentioned this is a dream for us to be interviewing emily today um and just a little bit of backstory for our listeners just because we thought that, that this was so serendipitous is that a few months ago when sarah and i started um brainstorming and collaborating together I don't know, one of us brought, I think it was you, Sarah, you brought up um, Emily and Amelia's book, Burnout. And I said, oh my gosh, no way. Like I just ordered mine. I think it's arriving today. And like that night we hopped on a call and we're sort of reading the book together and, and just so excited about the parallels that we experience in the book in our practice, especially when, um, you know, we listened to your podcast with Brene Brown, Sarah was listening to your feminist survival project podcast. And so we were just so excited to, um, read this book and to really talk about these concepts with you today. So thank you for being here. Super grateful for your time. I'm excited that you noticed that it's a related to the work you do because it's not a coincidence oh interesting yeah and I was so excited to learn that you and Amelia are both dog people because to me like that makes intuitive sense of course mm -hmm. you are right mm -hmm. right um but you know there are people who aren't for instance Brene Brown like just got her first dog not that long ago mm -hmm. <laughs> did she 
Yes, and yeah. would not have considered herself a dog person at all, and has kind of talked about that a little bit. That she she almost like sat in judgment of dog people. <laughs> like it's one of those great stories she tells about herself, she did. where she, she like, is like a catches cat person, herself. Like totally, yeah. Of course she is. <laughs> yes. I think it's a I think it's a, B, a Bichon. If I'm not, yeah, it's a little white something. Mistaken. For sure. I think it's a Bichon. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that makes perfect uh, sense because she grew up in a family that values like stoicism and individuality. <laughs> Yeah. and like never needing anything or asking for anything from anybody and a dog is inherently like this social like let's do everything together totally right? totally <laughs> that makes a ton of sense um so today but of course like show- that's the upbringing that she's been like overcoming and teaching exactly, everybody yeah. against like for exactly. her whole career so and so getting, I feel like a, getting dog. a dog is a culmination for her mm-hmm yeah, I think so. Not that I feel morally superior for like being a dog person or anything. <laughs> well, I was not I, a dog I person do. for a long time. <laughs> Did you say you do, Sarah? Of course. <laughs> Every day I wake up and I go, I have eight dogs. I won life. <laughs> <laughs> if I had the space, I would have eight dogs. I wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, well, just a few. To each just their own. To each their own. <laughs> to each their own is correct. <laughs> um, so we wanted to. So when Sarah and I are working with clients, we really are trying to focus on the emotional mm-hmm. and behavioral health of both the dog and the human. We really love humans just as much as we love dogs, and so we want to focus on that that relationship. And as dog trainers we can be perfectionists, like really mm-hmm. driving to do the very best for our own personal dogs, especially because like the more we know, the more, the, like, the better we want to do. And it's sort of this vicious cycle. Um, and we want to be really, really good for our clients' dogs and our, and our clients, because a lot of them are struggling with significant behavior concerns and it's impacting their lives. And so mm-hmm. we really want to be able to cultivate success and support for them. And in your book, you guys speak about the human giver syndrome, which just like, I have chills just saying the name. Um, and we resonated a lot with that. And so can you define what you mean by the human giver syndrome, sort of what it is and how it can be really harmful at times? Yeah. The short version basically is uh, human giver syndrome is the false belief that you have a moral obligation to be, here's the list to be pretty happy yet calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others at all times. And if you fall short in any way of being pretty, happy, calm, generous, or attentive to the needs of others, then it's not that you have failed, it's that you are a failure. And because this is a moral obligation and you are a failure, you deserve to be punished. And if there's no one around to punish you, you will just go ahead and beat the crap out of yourself. Uh, And the last symptom of human giver syndrome is believing these are not false beliefs, but just true and normal things. And the reason it's, it's like the immediate relevancy to burnout and stress and overwhelm, especially for women, is that if it's your moral obligation to meet everyone else's needs before you meet your own, you know, I said feelings are tunnels, you have to go all the way through them to get to the light at the end. Mm-hmm. Like it requires patience and time to allow your body, just as it requires patience and time to allow your dog's body to go through the tunnel. But if you're a human giver, 
how dare you selfishly take the time and energy that it requires to let your body do what it needs to do mm-hmm. when you could be giving that time and energy to other people who need it more than you do, Emily. Oh my God. I mean, no, self-care is really important. Good for you. It's like so important that I have a little postie on my desk that just says HGS to just like warn me and remind me that like in those moments when, you know, like I get an email from somebody who upfront is like, I can't afford you, but here are all my problems. And also here's why you should help me anyway. It is, you know, it's common. I get at least like two of those yeah, a week. I get it too. Right. Of course. Right. And Ooh, that puts us in such a situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want to help. And Marissa working, Marissa works extensively in shelters. So that is even the big, like, Mm -hmm. but Marissa, all these dogs are in shelters. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's such a big ask. You need to save every dog's life. Literally. It is like your responsibility. So if you don't help this dog, nobody can, and nobody will. Right. Yeah. (sighs) Dangerous. It's so dangerous. Yeah. I have found, um, that I've been asking myself if I, and I actually have a post-it right here too. Um, great minds. Uh, I will ask myself if I'm saying yes to this, I'm saying no to something else. And I'm always saying no to myself or my family or my dog, which is just like, like when I started looking at everything through that lens, I was like, wow, Marissa, like you are just dead last every time. Why is that? Um, and you know, a lot of times it is like, I'm, I, I might be getting reinforced by somebody because I'm getting some sort of acknowledgement or I am helping, right? Like click or treat for self-sacrifice. Totally. <laughs> yes, totally. It is. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it it's interesting just how ingrained this is in us that like, yeah, we have to have reminders to say like, you know, what are you saying yes to? There is limited amount of time. And my sister, she actually gave me something that says you can do anything, but not everything. Yes. Right. So that it's just, how can I prioritize myself in order to help others? Yeah. That's the reason why in chapter seven, in the rest chapter, we have that 24 seven worksheet. Yeah. So you put like, 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 let's get realistic about how much time you're spending doing all the various things you're doing, whether it is work stuff, family stuff, sleep, which is an actual literal biological drive without which you will die showering and like all the other stuff that you need to do and buying groceries, like. Uh, And when people do that and they look at how much time is actually being used up and that things literally just don't even fit, like no wonder you are so overwhelmed and exhausted all the time. It's because there literally are not enough hours in a week. And I'm sure there's someone somewhere working on technology to like expand the number of hours in a week. (laughs) But until that comes along, like you got to pick. Yeah. What are the things that matter enough to you? And so there's actually two pieces for me on the the like feeling you need to rescue every dog in the world and uh, like literally save other dogs' lives and like help every dog and every person who can't afford you, but they need your help so much. Um, one is, uh, I use this analogy all the time of like moving a shoreline is 
this huge amount of work. Everybody gets one bucket and a place on the sand and they like use their bucket to move that little bit of shore. And it can sure look, when you look at it, how huge the ocean is, it can feel like you're doing nothing at all. Cause it's just you with your one bucket working yeah. as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. But the thing is you look to your left and you see endless people participating with you with their buckets working as hard as they can and you look to your right and there's endless people with their buckets working as hard as you they can and it's not just you and your bucket you can pause every now and then because there are other people who are going to continue the work and you have to pause because your muscles are gonna mm -hmm. need a break after doing all this work and you can trust that everybody who's participating in this project with you is going to carry their amount of work and you're going to carry your amount of work. And together, we are all going to make this happen. So like I rescued Green Bean. That was the one dog I could, I couldn't save every mm -hmm. dog. I had mm -hmm. that feeling like I had to like choose the most needy dog. But I like I, I this one and I invested everything I had in that one dog, recognizing that there were other people for other dogs in other places. But the second part is that because we get rewarded for sacrificing ourselves mm -hmm. on the altar of anyone else's comfort and convenience, we need people around us, our bubble of love, as Amelia and I call it, who care for our own well-being as much as we care for theirs so that when we come home from a long and exhausting day and we're like, I really do need the eight hours of sleep because I have another huge day tomorrow, they don't just say, oh, that's nice, what's for dinner? And then you're also the person who gets woken up in the middle of the night when somebody has a need. They help you, they collaborate with you. Your household works with you to protect the time, space, and resources necessary for you to get the basic needs of your well-being met sleep is a biological drive again like the way vegetables are like you just have to eat them um so in two ways self-care is not the answer to burnout it can't be the whole thing about burnout is you have nothing yeah. left yeah in at least two ways it is not self-care, it's all of us caring for each other. One is trusting that people are collaborating with you on the work that matters to you, that is a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. And second, relying on your close proximity people, your bubble of love to help you sustain your well-being in the same way that you help to sustain their well-being. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's also why I never really resonated with self-care activities. Cause I was like, what, I've got to add something else to my to-do list. Right, it's like, like something else you need to like that you're <laughs> failing at. I'm like, exactly. It totally is something I'm failing. I'm like, now I have to take an Epsom salt bath. Okay. So I'm going to go do this. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like marching to my bathroom in this, like one more thing for me to check off the list. Like it just, it never resonated with me. And I think um, that's why your book was so life-changing and which will get to all of the, the reasons why it's life-changing. And I think, you know, we really, we really dove into this um, a little bit already, but essentially one of the reasons that we as dog trainers fall victim to human giver syndrome is that we find so much meaning in our work. Like, yeah, I do love helping my clients mm -hmm. like when the dog gets better and everybody's life gets better that is worth so much to mm -hmm. me and so when my work is also a huge amount of the meaning that I find in my every single day I struggle personally with creating boundaries around my work yeah 
So what gives? Like, what is that? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, that's that's your something larger. And how yeah. great it is that you have a sense of what your that your work brings you a sense of purpose and meaning and connecting with your something larger because that is so important as a resource for sustaining your energy but also particularly because you have this like really human giver syndrome something larger like stamp of approval on like wanting to like make animals lives better and make people's lives better right. and like live in service of other people's happiness like that's a thing you have permission to do because you were born and raised as a girl uh, and how dare you stop ever doing that and instead uh, bathe and eat and brush your teeth and right. sleep and, you know, just watch some freaking television sometimes. Like, how dare yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, right. And the answer to how dare you is that you cannot continue to do your good work mm -hmm. unless you do those things because you, mm -hmm. like the animals you help, are a mammal living in a mammalian body and you would never do that you yeah. would never create for a dog the life that your social brain is trying to impose on you where you don't get enough rest where you don't get enough play where you don't get enough time to just like cuddle in a pile with the mammals you love you would never do that to a dog you wouldn't do that to a stranger on the bus and yet right human giver syndrome that like monster in your head is telling you to treat yourself that you're supposed to work like a machine instead of like the mammal that you are gosh that is really i love that analogy and that parallel because you're right we would never do that to dogs no so not even close not even close yeah <laughs> if you saw a client treating their dog that way you would have a firm word with them probably I mean, truly, my clientele is um, some really high-level competitors in the dog sport world. And sometimes this is a conversation we have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's actually a conversation in among human athletes that yeah. increasing sleep and adequate rest and play is more important for improving performance than more practice and more work and more measurement. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Um... Horse trainers have the same thing. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you and your sister were talking about on the podcast about like how you were writing the book, right? How, how you were two oh. hours here, go fold laundry to like, yeah. like the whole rest chapter. It's so, it, you know, I have another posted here that says, take a break. You will do more if you take mm -hmm. a break, right? Like I can go walk my dog. I can go get on the floor and play with him for 10 minutes and, and sort of rest my mind and then come back to whatever it is. I'll most likely be more productive, um, and more creative. So mm -hmm. just, it's just amazing that we have to give ourselves permission to write a post-it note to right. like go play. Or like what you just said, Marissa, that your post-it says you'll do more if you take a break. I know. <laughs> be more productive because that's your master of worth, Martha. <laughs> As I said it, I was like, ooh. <laughs> and like we read a lot of those kinds of books about like the more you rest, the more productive you'll be. And we were like, that's great and cool and persuasive if it's going to help your boss, like, you know, restructure your workplace so that you can do better. But like, we don't want people to rest more so they can be more productive. We want people to rest more so that they can be people. Yeah, so they can be who they are. Yeah, totally. Your value does not lie in your productivity. 
but you'll notice uh, so yeah. part of my room is currently uh primed because we're repainting our house i spent uh -huh. the morning working on a new book proposal and when my brain was on empty i was like i'm gonna paint my walls yeah and i painted my walls until it was time for me to come and talk to you yeah that's been how i've been operating more and more and more especially covid has been actually a gift in that way that all my mm -hmm. work all of it is virtual now and so um it's amazing to be able to take that second and go do whatever else yeah right it's actually crazy how helpful like just laundry can be as a break like who knew <laughs> right yeah and like i'm not saying laundry is fun but no, it's it is, not it is mindless right mm -hmm. exactly yeah and needing and having that is yeah it's just got to balance all of this out and i so when you compare amelia and me i have this like really intuitive connection with what my body and brain needs so when my brain's like you're done go fold laundry and come back in 20 minutes or you're done paint the room I do what my brain tells me and I don't worry too much about whether or not I'm, you know, I said I was going to sit down and write 500 words today and I only got to 400. No, I had to chain myself to my chair until I get that done. I do what my body tells me to do really intuitively, which is mm -hmm. the way our dogs do it. Mm -hmm. Like yes. they don't say that they have to like keep doing a thing until such and such a time. Like they intuitively know that their body is done doing a thing. Their attention is like they are full, they're fed up, they're done. And they're just yeah. not going to anymore. Uh, and I know we have to make some compromises to schedules and stuff, but the more we can let it be intuitive and follow what our body and brain are telling us it, they need, the better it's going to work in the long term. Yeah, completely. It's a totally magical shift to make for, for yourself, but also for dogs. I mean, one of the, so many of the complaints that we work with is like, my dog is doing this and I need it to not, mm -hmm. and they're doing it because they have a need right. that's not being addressed. Right. Cause they're never just trying to piss you off. Yeah. <laughs> right. My, my husband has never had a puppy before. No and good times. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, and uh, especially at first when we adopted her, it was just a couple of months before the pandemic and I was on the road a lot. Yeah. So it was him and the puppy and Thunder with him never having had a puppy before and like not getting that she wasn't trying to be annoying. Yeah. She was doing the th impulse that was in her body and doing her best with it. And he, she needed his help to explain yeah. to her what to do when she had that feeling. Yeah. To totally. communicate clearly, to make sure she got her needs met and also that she was acting in a way that was going to make him happy because the thing she wanted most in the world, like so many women, is just to like make sure everybody's happy and like just be a good dog. Like, tell me how to be a good dog. And uh, the ways that she was asking, tell me how to be a good dog, were making him feel like, why are you such an annoying dog? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally. Cultural mismatch at times, for sure. Yeah, he's figured it out. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. It's good. Puppies are hard. Yeah, they're, they're right. actually yeah. legitimately hard. It's a baby mammal. It's a lot of work. Yeah, baby mammals are super Lots of work. And Lots she wasn't needs. like we thought she was much younger than she was, but she's still. She needs to poop between three and four in the morning <laughs> every night. Yeah. She's that's almost rough. two now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 
That's rough. We can talk to you about that after. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there a way to like deal with that? Because we really just don't want her to poop in the house. We want to reward her for going to the door. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we could probably talk about that. Yeah, we, okay, we can talk about that after for sure. <laughs> like that is not. You guys need your rest, right? In chapter. Right. Everyone. <laughs> But we, we have all make... learned to fall back asleep. She, well, we hear oh, her get up good. at three thirty. <laughs> you just go down and let her out. Yep. She pees and poops immediately and comes right back in, and we all go back to sleep. That's interesting. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're we're okay. So, can you tell our listeners like what is the stress cycle? Yes. And, and how? Why are we getting stuck? And how can we get unstuck? Yeah. So the stress response cycle is just a different way. A lot of us have heard of like the fight or flight response, mm-hmm. but we learn about it as if it were just like a thing that happens and then we never find out what happens at the end. But all of our sure. biological systems are built as like cycles or oscillations. I use the analogy of digestion a lot. Like digestion mm-hmm. has a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. And you need to get to the end or else some not so good things can happen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sleep is similar. There's like, we're, we're built to oscillate through a rest and activity cycle. We're not built to like stay asleep all day. We're not built to stay awake all day. We're built to oscillate from sleep to activity to sleep to activity. Like we're also built to go be, go through a stress response cycle to oscillate through. We're not designed to stay in a state of like peace and calm and rest all the time, but we're also not designed to stay in a state of hypervigilance alert running away from threats all the time. We're built to go through the stress response cycle. So it starts when it's activated by a perceived threat. So this might be in the environment where we evolved, this is like being chased by a lion. Uh, These days it's, you know, your dog or your kids or your family or bills or the capital T, capital F future, right? So you just imagine it and it activates all this physiological stuff, the adrenaline and cortisol and all the things that activates your heart rate and respiration rate and blood pressure. It changes your digestion. It changes your immune system. It changes your hormones. Every body system is impacted by this response that's supposed to help you cope with this potential threat. Uh, And when you're being chased by a lion, what do you do? You run. run. You run. So uh, when you're being, and your body doesn't really differentiate between a lion and the capital T, capital F future. So when you're being stressed out and overwhelmed by the future, what do you do? You run. (laughs) You shut down or shut down or freeze. Or Or you shut down or freeze or go into a fawn state, pleasing state. Right. Um, But your bo- because your body doesn't know the difference between a lion and a sort of existential threat an, or an identity threat, the behavior that deals with the stress itself is not different, whether it's being chased by a literal predator or like having your identity threatened. And so the behavior that deals with it is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we now live in a world where the behaviors that deal with our stressors are totally disconnected from the behaviors that deal with the stress that happens in our bodies. And that's the thing that we all got lied to about for the first couple decades of our lives, right? We got taught that if we can solve our problems, everything will be fine. So you deal with the problem and you should be fine now. Everything is fine. See, I fixed it. It's fine. And But your, your body is still in this, like you have a long, terrible, difficult commute and you finally get home. When you you If you get home, you dealt with the stressor, right? You dealt with the commute. You made it home. Is your body at the end of that commute 
commute saying like, ah, hooray, the sun shines brighter and I feel so calm and relaxed and my body's like totally at the end of my stress response and has it transitioned me to the relaxation response? No, because your body doesn't know what it means just to arrive at a house or an apartment. It needs you to do something in the way that my dogs needed to walk in order to understand that they were now a pack together with each other. Your body needs you to move it. And yeah, it can be walking. It can be running. It can be just dancing it out in the living room. It can be just like doing jumping jacks in your driveway before you even get into the house. When Green Bean was early in his rehabilitation process, if I came into the door in the state of mind that my job put me into, yeah. it would just activate more shit in him. Uh, it yep. was my task in order to be in a place where I could be there for him on my walk from work to home I had to like transition my physiological state out of work state into a calm present state so that I could be there for him and not activate more crap in him so that he felt totally safe and stable as soon as I walked in the door does that make sense a hundred percent and thank you for <laughs> yes. bringing it back around to your dog because this is what we talk to our clients about like how can you take care of yourself and unlock and unlock your stress cycle so that you're not projecting that onto your dog knowing that like we're all going through stress cycles there's no shame around it nope like yes you're frustrated yes you're you are you know having a hard time dealing with the fact that your dog just barked and lunged at something like we get it you're going to have a feeling you, you emote right um but being responsible to finish that Mm -hmm. is really, really important. And you know, having a human brain is a remarkable thing because we can, like, you know, you're on a walk and your dog lunges and barks and you have this like, oh my God, my dog. Um, but your job in that moment is to stay really calm and address what's happening with the dog. Um, it is a glorious thing that we have these incredibly powerful brains that can put a hold on the stress response that got activated by that behavior. And you can stay calm in the moment and deal with what's going on. And you get your dog home and they go lie down. And then uh, you hit the pause button on your stress response cycle. And now that you have the uh, time available, you can, it, just because you hit the pause button doesn't mean it ended. It's mm -hmm. there waiting for you in your brain and your body. And it will stay there waiting for you for as long as you ask of it, eventually like lodging itself in some organ system over the coming decades. Or when you get home and everything's calm, you like you go like scream into a pillow or like do the jumping jacks or dance it out to Beyonce or have your big old cry. These are all evidence-based strategies for completing the stress response cycle. Physical activity, crying, sleeping, big laughter. Oh. A connection with others. These are all effective strategies for completing the stress response cycle, which you have to do, even though our brains are remarkable and you can hit the pause button in the moment. Just because you finished dealing with the stressor and just because you hit the pause button doesn't mean the stress is gone. It's just waiting for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure you go back and deal with the stress in your body with physical activity or connection or sleep or creative self-expression. You can even imagine your way through a stress response cycle, just like closing yourself up in your room with the door closed and you imagine really vividly uh, like whoever the jerk was who activated your dog, like in the moment, you were super socially appropriate and calm and you behaved great. But like in your imagination, you can go back and like 
rip that person's face off and just beat the crap in your imagination you're allowed to do anything <laughs> right. you want to and your brain doesn't really know the difference between mm. imagining it viscerally and, and actually doing it so you can be a hundred percent socially appropriate and then like you give your brain permission to do the ragey thing that it wanted and if you let your body get engaged in that imaginative experience, it will end all by itself. You're not going to stay in that place. I used to think that feelings were not tunnels. They were caves with, you mm -hmm. know, bats and darkness and cyanide. <laughs> and if I went in there, I was going to get stuck forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Turns out, no. Turns out if you let yourself go through it, you will definitely get to the end. If, if you are listening to this and you, like me, were raised in a family that was like, no feelings for you. No, uh, start yeah. small. Don't start with the big <laughs> anger you have at the person who triggered your dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Begin with like noticing your breath. Begin by noticing what your body and face does when you watch your dog being sweet and cute. Just notice the positive, gentle things and allow that to be true. And you can do it in a formal way with a mindfulness practice or a less formal way of just noticing the benign sorts of internal experiences that we have and allowing that to be true without uh, making it be more or less or change and just notice that it does change inevitably. Yeah, I love the analogy of the tunnel versus the cave because mm -hmm. for a long time my partner was like, "Whoa, we are we, we can't go down there. <laughs> right. There's scary down there, right?" It's and snakes. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea of going through, I think is so um it's just like it's just freeing. It feels um like you're not you're not going to get trapped there. Yeah. But it takes practice because mm -hmm. it's if you get scared when you're in the middle of a big mm -hmm. emotional experience, uh, that's only going to bog you down and make you feel more stuck because it's more uncomfortable feeling to move through. Mm -hmm. So starting with small feelings so that you can learn to keep moving and not feel afraid of your own internal experience. Um, and I find dogs are really great for this, actually, because they are 100% honest indicators of what is going on in your own body. Mm -hmm. They, yep. you can't fake it cannot fake it. Nope. No, you can't. And you, it is so important as well to recognize that, um, you know, I think people feel frustrated a lot of times by their dog's behavior because like we can hit that pause button and we do. Right. Yeah. So I don't go ape shit on the guy in the park, right. even though I want to. Yeah. But my dog does go ape shit at the guy in the park. Right. And then that like frustrates us. And if we just kind of went, well, actually like what the dog's doing is healthier and we, we can help the dog to feel less stressed by that thing. Yeah. Um, going forward, then we can see less and less of that behavior. But like what a what an eye-opening way to look at some of those problematic behaviors that we work with to think mm -hmm. no, they're just going through their tunnel. Because right. they don't understand how to put a pause button on the tunnel, which is and actually just because you drag your dog out of a not okay situation doesn't mean right. they're suddenly fine. Like right. their body may still be in it, especially if they have a history of trauma, trauma or, or abuse. Right. Like their brain may stay in that state of like vigilance and reaction. Absolutely. Long past the not okay event. Mm -hmm. And you just got to be like, I know. Yeah. Yeah, your brain thinks it's stuck still. Look around you. Look how it doesn't suck. Isn't that interesting? Does your brain think it still sucks? And it just takes time and eventually it'll be like, oh, wait, it doesn't suck anymore. Everything mm -hmm. actually is okay. Mm -hmm. Phew. Thanks, mama dog. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we can, my dogs um, call me a mama dog. I love it. I love that. That's actually (laughs) so funny (laughs) because mine definitely call me mom, but like mama dog is like way cuter. Um, so you briefly, you like really quickly ran through the, the seven effective ways to complete that stress cycle to get us through that tunnel. And they are, um, I just want to make sure everybody's got them exercise, positive social interaction, laughter, affection, breathing, creative expression and crying. Right. Imagination is also on the list that didn't make the, and uh, connection, positive social connection can actually take the form, not just of social connection and physical affection, but, uh, connection with the divine like a spiritual Uh connection connection with nature which is both landscapes and animals amelia counts her horseback riding as a combination of physical activity and connection horses are another animal where like they are never fooled by you yep (laughs) completely and and if you're on their back that matters a lot yeah (laughs) yeah and there's a thousand pounds of them and so if you think you're saying one thing and they think you're saying something else they're always right (laughs) because when there's a thousand pounds of you you win yep (laughs) you do and i i I'm like um, Amelia in that I think of hiking with my dogs as mm-hmm. yeah. connection, physical activity, like on like all the things. Like Major. I'm with yeah. them, I'm I'm laughing most yeah. of the time. Sometimes I'm crying in the woods. Like it's all <laughs> in there, all comes together. Yeah. It's a great place to cry, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, and then I'm kind of known as um, like I met someone in Finland who who was like, oh, you're decompression walk, Sarah. So I talk about decompression walks with dogs a lot of the time. That's and so, so that's, that's like the exercise piece, that mm-hmm. physical activity piece. What is, is the science behind that just running away from the lion? Or like, is there more? What, what is that? Well, I mean, just running away from I mean, the lion. Just. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, again, the stress response cycle act changes every single biological system in your body. Yeah. From your hormones to your digestion, like everything. And so for you to give it the physical activity that, as far as it's concerned, reproduces the experience of running away from the lion is to give it the gift of saying, you have returned home. Your body is now a safe place for you to be. So like this in the same way that that like waking up from a night of sleep feel you're like, ah, I feel reset. I feel safe. I feel good. You get to the end of that physical activity. If you're a natural exerciser, which not everybody is, Amelia is not. She has never had this experience in her life. But at the end of like that decompression walk, your body's chemistry has shifted in the same way that shifts over the course of a night of sleep. Interesting. I feel it. Like yeah. I get yeah. going in the woods and I just, everything starts to feel better. Yeah. Just I, when I was uh, in undergrad, I cycled long distances and it felt to me like the chains slipping and the gears in my body spinning a little more freely when I got to a certain point in the ride and I would ride home and leave all the stress I had brought with me behind me and come back and be in a totally different state. And like, let me reiterate, not everyone is a natural exerciser. Not everyone has had this experience. Physical activity is not available to everyone because they have chronic pain or chronic illness or injury, or they don't have access to the resources necessary, or they're trans and they want to go to the gym, but just going into the locker room can be physically dangerous for them. Like Mm -hmm. physical activity is not available to everyone, which is why it's so important that there's 
at least seven more evidence-based strategies for completing the stress response cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Playing with your dog is absolutely one of them. Yeah. And, and that, that reminds me of the, of positive social interactions, right? So would you say that play falls into that? I mean, in addition to laughter, right? Because I mean, how often when you're playing with your dog, are you just cracking up? Basically the whole time, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just, I think two is the right number of dogs to have because you can play with your dogs and then you can just watch them. Uh And that's hilarious and amazing. Yeah. Or if there's eight, then there's eight of them playing. (laughs) Probably even better. (laughs) Um, And we, Marissa and I both um, coach the human half of our clientele to breathe through, through all processes that they're working through with their dogs. Do we, what, I mean, obviously we need to breathe to live kind of like sleeping to live. Yeah. Right. And that's a natural oscillation. Like just breathing yeah. in is not enough. You have to continue. You have and to breathe, breathe out, out. <laughs> which is the part we forget about. Right. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I was walking with my dogs, um, yesterday and kind of had a moment because some horses that I didn't know were coming came right down the trail and my, that's an puppy, exciting moment. <laughs> um, my puppy's pretty excited about horses still. And she, she did recall, like it was an A plus day. Everyone, <laughs> I give them grades at their, on their walks. Um, <laughs> it was an A plus day and it was fine. Like the stressor left. Mm-hmm. And then I just had to breathe for a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just really, my heart was pounding and it was like, okay, breathe it out because yeah. nothing bad is, happened. Was, yeah. You made alive. it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But your chemistry is like, what if, what yeah, if all the things? What if, yeah. Yeah. And like, you just got to like allow your body to go through the rest of the thing. And a couple, all it takes is to allow your body to do it. All the breathing does is prevent you from escalating or trying to force a de-escalation. You just oh. allow your body to coast to the end. So you don't like oh, slam on the brakes and be like, mm-hmm. why are you still freaking out? Everything is fine. The horse is gone. Everything is fine. You need to be right quiet. Cause does that, does that help that you? That never to... works. Yeah. Right? I feel like no. that was my yeah. mom just right. now. Yeah. No, mine too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> why are you still freaking out? Everything is fine. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. You're like, wow, it doesn't really. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell by how calm you are. And you're telling me everything is fine. <laughs> And I think of that when I talk to my dogs, like, what's the matter with you? Like, why are you still barking? Everything is fine. And I'm like hearing myself, I'm also barking at you. And no wonder you think nothing is fine. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And, you know, I used to, I remember when I would first learn or when I first learned about meditation and breathing, I was like... (sighs) just breathing. Like I never really gave you any credit. I mean, I I still find myself like, oh, I could just actually put my shoulders back and like inhale for four count and exhale for four count. I'm like, it's so ridiculous. Like it, I I like have minimized it, but it is everything. Oh my gosh. It is everything. I know. Mindfulness. Ugh. And it's like, it's it's like true. And I think it's like, I want it to be more complicated. Like I want it to be more sexy or more complicated. You want it to be harder. Let's just be honest. Yes. And it's like, oh, it's just breathing. Oh. And every time it's like a million bucks. (laughs) But in a way, it's just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. It is so simple. Mm Mm-hmm. But because it's so hard, you feel like it should be more complicated. Yes, yes. And instead, yes. it's really just the one step 
of like noticing what's going on with you and just right. just like continuing to breathe and exist and noticing what's true and allowing what's true to change because it always changes. Yeah. Your body wants to get to the end of a stress response cycle. And most of us are walking around with decades of incomplete stress response cycles in our bodies. If you have chronic pain or injury, like you probably have been carrying around a whole lot of physiologically mm -hmm. activated stress. And this is not like some, like your feelings are manifesting as your intentions. This is when your body stays in a heightened state of vigilance for a long mm -hmm. time. Your blood pressure stays increased, which increases the wear and tear on your blood vessels, which increases the rate at which plaques accumulate on the pieces of wear and tear, which increases your risk for heart disease in a straightforward physiological line. Like mm -hmm. you are increasing your risk for chronic pain, injury, and illness when your body stays in that state and you don't grow granted the opportunity through all these strategies, including physical activity and sleep, which I know people are like, oh, good. Somebody else telling me that physical activity and sleep are important. I never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Emily. But this is the why it is so important is because yeah. in your mammalian body, in order for it to heal and return to a baseline state from the normal wear and tear of life, you, it's, I know it's pain in the ass living in a mammalian body. Mm -hmm. It is a hassle. It is time consuming, but it's like, it's what we love about our dogs is that they live in these messy, hilarious bodies. We also live in messy, hilarious, time consuming bodies that have a whole lot of needs. And yeah. how dare we not be as gentle and respectful with our human bodies as we are with our animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you using the word messy. So messy. Right, because, I mean, it's all messy. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I love the word, like, that you, you keep talking about these cycles, right, that, like, it's going to move through, um, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Nice visual. It's a, an important moment for my husband, for example, who had to learn how to have a puppy, um, to know what to do when she, like, she would have a really difficult night, and then she would just, like, curl up in a little ball, uh, she sleeps on the top of the couch cushion and she'll put her chin on his shoulder like a parrot. And it is just the cutest thing in the world. And he'll sit there with this dog who drove him crazy all night with her just like snuggling and like begin to recognize that she's going to oscillate from mm -hmm. like these restful moments mm -hmm. to these challenging, difficult moments to these like peaceful, beautiful, loving moments to the ones that make you be like, why did I get a dog? Mm -hmm. That's, that is the <laughs> nature true. of all relationships. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Including with yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to throw a common scenario? Yeah, to, I think, Emily? um, so I th really think that we, we touched on this and I love that Emily, you have firsthand experience, but a really common scenario that we face. Um, I just want to throw a common scenario that we face at you to kind of get some thoughts on it, to help our clients help mm -hmm. their dogs a little bit better because we, as the trainers, like we're helping people's dogs cope with the stressors. Like I had just kind of mentioned, you know, yeah, that your dog's going to freak out at that thing that upsets them. So it's our job to help him be less upset by that thing. Um, so, but we really need to help people too. And this is one of the areas that Marissa and I really connect on is that if we don't help those people also, 
then we don't have, then what are we doing? Right? Like we, this is a team, this is a partnership. So you're walking your dog, your dog is barking and lunging at something. How, what is the best way to like, do you hit that pause button right then get out of Dodge and then, you know, then what do we do to help ourselves deal with the, with the stress, not just the stressor. Yeah. And one of the great things about having like someone to help you learn how to deal with this is you remember the lesson, you like hit the pause button on your stress reaction, uh, think in a sort of analytical, neutral way. What is my dog reacting to? What need does my dog have right now? How can I help my dog? Given that a stress response has been activated in her body, how do I help her move all the way through it? It's going to be a combination of dealing with the stressor out in the environment and knowing what to do with her body to get her to the end of it in this like neutral way. And I can say that this is sometimes it is fairly easy if you're very motivated. When I had a dog with a super intense trauma history, I was intensely motivated because I wanted what was best for the dog. And I was 100% committed to providing everything that he needed. Um, And then it got complicated, not because my motivation was lower, but because when we adopted a pit bull, I felt this big social responsibility. Mm -hmm. So if my dog behaved in any way outside it, I was like, they're all going to like judge Thunder for being a bad, dangerous, scary dog. When she was like this like soft, squidgy meatball Mm -hmm. who just like didn't know how to be around other dogs because she had never done it in her whole entire life um but i noticed that like my own ability to be calm and rational when she would behave in a way that was outside my idea of what was good for her um it was much harder because i was worried about people's judgments so much more than i was with green bean so that kind of awareness of like what is it that's making this difficult for what is it in me that's my obstacle to being who my dog needs me to be right now Um, and letting go of the identity piece of it of like being judged because my dog wasn't perfect um and recognizing that other people's opinions like really didn't matter what matters most is the well-being of my dog and making sure that like i can meet her needs mm-hmm. in a way that makes sure everybody is safe and happy is the most important thing yeah it's not easy but like that's it like when you establish the priorities it's the meaning and purpose part of it connecting with your something larger when you put the uh well-being of the dog ahead of everything else and you just think so what does the dog need right now Hmm. and then recognize that like you still feel like shit when you get home because you did so much hard work and you got to go deal with you too I, i wonder if it's so hard for people to really like they just want that that negative behavior to stop right like sarah had mentioned and it's the same with us right when when we're reacting poorly like we we just we just want the bad thing to go away like we're just so conditioned in that way that um what i'm trying to say is I, i think that for for our clients when when we help them reframe it like what is it that my dog needs i wonder how many people actually are like wow like that's a question i have not even asked myself let alone yeah. my dog, or maybe it's easier for them to ask the question for their dog and not themselves. Right. But yes. it's, it's so, um, it's so critical for us to live healthy lives in order to understand what is our need? How can we ask for it in a healthy way? And there's also a way in which we perform our correction of our dogs in a way that is more for the people watching us yes. than it is for the dog. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. 
Yeah. On like on the, on the bike path, walking thunder, uh, early in our relationship, I would, she bicycles. She's like, I don't know about bicycles. Um, so I, I would see a bicycle coming in. I would have her like go to the side and sit. And I would talk to her the whole time, not because she benefited in any way from me talking to her about bicycles, but because a cyclist saw, uh, a pit bull who was like, pulling on the leash mm-hmm. and I like, wanted them to see that I was a calm adult who was like training my dog to be okay with bicycles. dealing with it yeah, yeah. you were, were dealing with it they mm-hmm. didn't need to and my out. silence wasn't enough it was all yeah. thunder needed was for me to be calm and help her know what to do when she saw a bicycle but I needed the bicyclist to hear me explaining to my dog what a bicycle was <laughs> here it comes two wheels <laughs> totally i it. know it's such an interesting noise does it sound like a growl sometimes good girl thunder sit <laughs> nice thunder good girl <laughs> i'm gonna talk to myself like that now i'm gonna be like i know taxes are scary aren't they but look it's just <laughs> it's just a silly number you don't need just to worry sorry, about a number good, click that yep fill in the Write that check. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is um, a really beautiful place to wrap up. So, Emily, if yes, people... Emily, good girl. Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> Um, gosh, we so appreciate your time and so appreciate this. And I know that people are going to listen and they are going to want to know more. So where do they find you, your projects, your, um, the book that you wrote with Amelia, like where, where do they go? Uh, the book is burnout and, uh, Amelia runs an Instagram called burnout book group and the feminist survival project 2020 is a podcast that we did, uh, through most of 2020 because Uh, Around about September of 2019, we thought 2020 might be a little bit hard for people. We did not know. We didn't know. Uh, And so uh, if you're you're like, I'm going to read a 65,000 word book, but you're like, I will listen to a podcast. A lot of the big ideas are covered uh, in the episodes of that one year project, the Feminist Survival Project 2020. Yeah, we will link both mm-hmm. of those things in the show notes for sure. And it's and you hear our dogs in the background a lot. You, we podcast. do. That was kind. Of, mm-hmm. I was listening to the podcast and I was like, "These are dog people for real." And you talk about dogs. You talk about your dogs in the podcast yeah. as well. Yeah, it's it's great. It's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. Thank you. Yes. So much. This is my favorite thing to talk about. And now I get to finish painting my room. Yay! <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much, Emily. Have a great rest of your day. You too. So that was awesome. That was a highlight of my career. A hundred percent. Incredible. So, oh my gosh, we hit all the bases. What do you feel like is your huge take home from this conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like what you and I have been talking about in the sense that um, we are teaching our clients skills. So behavior skills to change the client's behavior in order to modify the dog's behavior around the stressor, right. Or around the trigger. Right. And then the dog is have, and and we're we're also teaching the dog how to self-regulate, which is helping the dog complete that stress cycle, but we're not teaching folks how to help them complete their stress cycle. Um, And so I really hope that listeners 
you know, gain some really great scientific information today about, you know, yes, you can teach your dog to run away from something. You can teach your dog all these skills, your learning skills. Um, you can click and treat shaking off and um, disengaging from the stressful thing. And how are you taking care of yourself after experiencing a stressful situation with your dog? And I think that was really um, I love these these ideas that she talked about because they are really simple. You can do them, like especially breathing. Um, that felt really important for our our clients and other trainers to hear. Yeah, and just that you actually have to deal with the stress mm-hmm. at both yeah. ends of the leash. Yep, not just the stressor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think we focus so hard on, you know, my dog barks and lunges at other dogs. Therefore. That's the stressor. The other dog showing up is the stressor. So how am I going to deal with the stressor? And we're not thinking about how do we also deal with the stress, which is basically where the four steps to behavioral wellness came from. Like that is what that is about. Yep. But reading burnout, I just felt so validated. (laughs) I was like, oh, there's actual real science here. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it's so important. So what was your big takeaway from today's conversation? Well, again, you know, something that I feel like I've been talking to people about, but Emily just puts it perfectly into words, is that when your dog is displaying a behavior that feels uncomfortable to you, Mm -hmm. it is likely that they are in that stress tunnel, right? And you have to allow them to emerge from that stress tunnel. And that I think we as positive reinforcement trainers, we want to get into that tunnel and fix what's going on in the tunnel right here, right now, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to shove food in their face or we want to, you know, say, it's okay, it's okay, come over here, like redirect, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that I work with reactivity um, and aggression is not like that. The way that I work with reactivity and aggression is, all right, let's all take a deep breath. Are you done now? Okay, now that you're done, let's do something that calms you down, right? Like now that you're done, let's get rid of that Mm -hmm. emotion that you just had because now you're out of the tunnel rather than trying to work the dog in the tunnel. It's just, it's not going to help you, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we talk about it as trainers as like, we want to work the dog under threshold. If they're under a threshold, they're not in the tunnel. Yeah. Right? They're going over threshold. They're in the tunnel. You got to let them come out of the tunnel, deal with the stress, and now we can get back to work. Yeah. So just, I mean, mic drop, like I, that was amazing. Yeah, so. totally amazing. And we'd love to hear from our listeners, like what this is, this is a different type of episode that both of us have mm-hmm. done. This is not a dog professional. This is somebody in the mental health realm. And we'd love to hear what you guys thought of it. So reach out, absolutely, send us a message. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you on Patreon yet? It's where you can get all the extras for this podcast. The original tier over there still exists where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast. But there's a new tier. You can become a Cog Dog Arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dog. So that includes agility, obedience, behavior, and stuff with my brand new puppy, Rhea, live guest chats, and more. So go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. The link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.